Welcome. We're glad that you're here with us in our worship time. Uh, this is kind of unusual for us because of the uh, COVID-19 virus. Uh, we are streaming our worship and encouraging our church family to join us uh, through the various internet means, uh, Facebook and web page and YouTube, where we'll be putting our services for those who can uh, listen and join in. Uh, we need to be much in prayer for our church and for our nation, and we will do that in just a minute or two. But we want to make you uh, sure that uh, we are working hard uh, to keep our ministry going here and encouraging you to pray for us and join together as a church family in this way. It's great because you can also invite others to listen and to play this over again if you'd like and to uh, take it to shut-ins and others and family and friends and encourage them to participate with us in worship as well. What we're going to do is to open with some prayer. Uh, we've had our music and we've enjoyed that worship. And now we need to pray for each other, for our nation, for our families and friends and those who have come down with the uh, COVID-19 virus and those who are struggling with it and families that have been touched by it. So let's take a few moments uh, to uh, be quiet and to pray. Uh, perhaps you wanna turn things off and uh, just focus with your family on our prayer requests. If you have a prayer request, uh, you can log in to our website and contact us and send us information uh, that you'd like to share and we will pray for you and lift you up uh, to our Lord God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is different for us. It's a little unique. Uh, we've come together to worship you, to lift up our songs and praise. And we've come together to pray and to study your word and to listen to what you have to say to us and to grow stronger as believers and disciples in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's different, Lord, is that we're not all in the same location, in the same room. But we know that as believers, as members of the Providence Baptist Church, that you are here for us and that you are encouraging us. And we can take heart and we can take strength and encouragement from who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Guide us as we seek to be good servants. We're at our homes learning how to develop our church family devotions and worship, reaching out to neighbors and friends as best we can given this virus and the circumstances that are pertaining to the problem. But yet at the same time, Lord, we can use this to tell others that you are a gracious and a loving God. And as we come together uh, through various means and the internet and uh, help us to understand and focus and become the church family together, even though we're spread apart, to give you glory and to give you honor and to exalt Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Guide us as we pray, as we study your word, and as we trust you and commit our hearts to you during this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful and holy and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Now I want you to get a Bible and uh, to open it up to Isaiah chapter 41. Uh, 
Isaiah chapter 41, the great prophet Isaiah, halfway through the book, Isaiah chapter 41. You'll need to get your family Bible and your individual Bibles and uh, join together in reading. As I read, you follow along in the Word of God, and then we're going to be sharing this morning uh, from this passage. Isaiah chapter 41, I'm just going to read two verses, verses or three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10. And uh, you listen as I read. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. You know, people are a little bit uncertain about what's happening around the world today, uh, particularly because of this COVID-19 virus. They're not real certain about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, and our government has been giving us press releases and updates about what is taking place in terms of how the medical world and, and our government is trying to fight this virus. But the honest point is things change every day and it creates stress and it creates uncertainty and uncertainty has a tendency to produce fear. And we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how terrible this will be upon our nation and upon the world. And so we're not quite sure what to do and where to turn. And that's natural and that's normal. People would understand that they're not sure what will take place even within 24 hours or let alone a couple of weeks. I know my school has canceled its classes on campus and we're doing all of our classes online. The public schools in our community, they've canceled their classes and they're working online. Businesses are sometimes shutting down and even those that are staying open are doing so in different kinds of ways. What's really interesting about this is that we're, we have someone we can turn to who tells us not to be afraid. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the phrase fear not occurs at least 78 times. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, do not fear or do not be afraid occurs 73 times in the New Testament. You can go through with a concordance and find these and read all of them and take great comfort and great encouraging that our God is a God who comforts us and tells us not to be afraid. The message that I want to share this morning is about a time when Israel as a nation faced a difficult circumstance. Not exactly a virus, but they had been carried away into captivity. That's totally different. They weren't told to stay home. They were taken out of their homes, never to return, and not being able to enjoy the things that they had known in their lives, their family, their friends, their homes, their possessions. But God had a, had a message for them as well. Israel faced the problems of being in that kind of a country, in that kind of a world, 
many, many times, but God encouraged them not to be afraid. One such occurrence, one such circumstance is found here in Isaiah chapter 41. Beginning in chapter 40, God encourages his people to take comfort and for Israel to be comforted. But in 41, God calls Jacob or Israel his servant. And then as God calls his servant, he delivers to him a very special message of encouragement, a message of strength, not to be afraid, but to take courage. And I'd like to share that with you this morning to talk about it in the circumstances in which God gave it to Isaiah as a prophecy and then how that would apply to us today here in Kansas City, here in our local community, how we can also receive a message from this word and take heart and take courage during these trying times when there is uncertainty and we're not sure what to believe or who to believe because there are all kinds of rumors going around and even uh, we're not quite sure what's going to happen in 24 hours. Well, I want you to know that God calls Jacob or Israel to be comforted, to be encouraged. And he does this in Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 10. He does it particularly in verse 10 in a very special way. First of all, he, he gives to Israel two commands. And those commands come with a justification. In other words, he doesn't just say, don't do this or don't do that, but he explains to them why they're not supposed to do it. And because of the reason why they are justified, these commands are justified, we too can take great encouragement and take heart for what God is going to do for us today. After the two commands, uh, there are three promises Three promises that God offers to Israel to remind Israel what God will do for them. So it isn't really what God is expecting us to do, but rather what God will do for us that we can hold on to and take courage by. So first of all, in our study of this text, particularly verse 10, let me read that again. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. As we look at this verse, let's take a look at the first of all, the two commands. The two commands are given as what we call prohibitions or negative imperatives. The fact is that God says, don't do something. And what he says is not to be afraid or to be concerned or look anxiously. He says in the very first verse, part of verse 10, do not fear. Literally, do not be afraid. Why shouldn't we be afraid? Crazy things are happening. We're not sure what going, is going to happen with this virus. Who will get it? Who won't get it? Will all of the efforts that we've done to have social distancing and washing our hands and all those things, will that keep the virus from spreading or will it still spread? And we don't know for certain where we might get it because, you know, they're telling us that you have to be careful. But God says to Israel, 
as they're carried away into captivity and they're not sure about their certain life and what will happen next, he says simply, don't be afraid. Now, why should we take God up on this? Why should we believe God? Why should we feel that there is really some kind of justification? Can God really deliver on that command not to be afraid? He's not saying be afraid. He's saying don't be afraid. How do we know that God can deliver to encourage us and take away that fear? Well, there's a justification that follows. It starts with the word for. Do not fear or do not be afraid for or because God says, I am with you because I am with you. That's important. I am with you is a phrase reminding us of the very presence of God. God's presence is with us. That's an important testimony. That's an important promise. We aren't supposed to be afraid because of God's presence. God is with us. You know, in Isaiah chapter 7, God told Isaiah to prophesy to the king that there would be a child that would be born. And that child had a special name. And that special name was Emmanuel, God with us. God with us is a promise of the very presence of a holy God, a God who created the world, but a God who gave us his son, Jesus Christ. It's not for us, uh, just coincidence that God indeed had Jesus named Emmanuel. It's not coincidence that Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. It's not coincidence that Jesus, when he gave his disciples their final marching orders in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 would say, and look, I am with you always. See, what God is saying is, we don't have to be afraid. Israel didn't have to be afraid because God was with them. He promised his presence. He promised his very, very important presence wherever they were. In the covenant on Sinai, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will be with you. That's part of the important understanding of God and his presence. In the ancient Near East, gods could leave. They could disappear. They could take a vacation. They could disappear. But God never takes a, a vacation. He doesn't disappear. What do we say? He's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year kind of God. And God says you don't have to be afraid because why? Because I am with you. That's comforting to us today. God hasn't left us alone. He hasn't forgotten us or rejected us. He's with us. The second command, God says in verse 10, don't be afraid or actually don't be looking around anxiously considering that there's no help. He says, don't be afraid 
And he gives a reason again. Again, it's a command with a justification. God is telling us we don't have to look anxiously around to seek help. We don't have to be afraid because first he says, I'm with you. And secondly, he says what? He says, don't be afraid for I am your God. Now, that's a really, really important and interesting thing that God would say to us. Because when you stop and think about it, in the ancient Near East, when there were so many different gods and so many nations that had so many gods, gods that were made out of clay, gods that were made out of metal, gods that were made out of stone. They took the animals and the creation and they made them gods, the sun, the moon, the stars. Everybody had their gods. Not only did they have such a wide choice of gods, they had personal gods. Everybody could have their own personal God that they would worship. There was a multiplicity of gods here and there and everywhere. And gods had characteristics and attributes. And people would say, well, my God's this way or my God's that way. But God says, you don't have to be afraid because you got me. And that's a very important statement. The whole Old Testament, as a matter of fact, in a way, the whole of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is all about God. We use the term theocentric to mean that it's all about God and what God was doing for his people Israel and for all of the world, for his creation. Eventually, he gave us Jesus Christ on the cross, but that wasn't a coincidence. That was a plan for God to allow Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus' presence with us is offered to us, but it also explains God's character, his nature, his attributes, that he's loving, that he's caring. He is just, but he wants to bless us and to help us as his creation and as followers of his son, Jesus Christ. What's so important about that is that we can trust that God is who he is and he's our God. He belongs to us. He gave himself on the cross for us and all of the attributes of God are inherent in his care for us. So with God, why should we be afraid? Not only is his presence with us, but he's the kind of God that he is, caring and loving and sustaining. In fact, he's going to give us three promises in the next part of the verse that show his characteristic of care and concern. So in uncertain times, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't have to search for hope. We have it in God. And God is telling Israel that as they're going through this exile, as they are returning back to Jerusalem, back to their own, their own country, God is going to protect them and to be their God. All of the characteristics of God are theirs because he's a loving and caring God. We need to find out about him and understand his loving care and compassion. I think the greatest thing to say about him, he's our God, is that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit came to always be with us. In the ancient Near East, there were gods who couldn't care less about the people that worshiped them. All they wanted was to have the people bring in money and gifts and so forth and so on uh, to the temple. And they could care less. But God has showed himself as a God of relationships. He wants to be with us, but that's the kind of God he is. 
He cares to have an ongoing everyday relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what's so exciting and so important here because God is giving us that justification. He says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. Psalm 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. God made a covenant with Israel and that covenant specified that he would be their God. He would do certain things and they would be his people. The Israelites would be his people and they would respond in worship, in faithfulness, and in service and commitment. What's really exciting here is to understand that God is saying, you get the whole shooting match. You get the whole package. I'm not going to just give you a little bit of time. I'm not just going to pay a little bit of attention to you. I'm going to give you myself because that's who I am. And interestingly enough, God gave himself completely on the cross. If we believe in the Trinity, God three in one, Jesus died on the cross, but it was God himself who gave himself to us through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to keep that relationship going. He is our God. We can, we can be strong and we can be courageous because God is who he is. Now, the next part of the verse, the three promises explain in more depth what this character of God is all about, who this God is, and what it means to say that he is our God. He starts off with three small little phrases, and yet those phrases are jam-packed and full of really deep spiritual understanding for us when we go through difficult and trying times. For example, the very first thing he says is that I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. Another way to translate this is I will give you courage. I will make you courageous. God wants to make us courageous to have the strength to be able to stand in these times. Listen, this is stressful. It's difficult because our whole lives are changed. We were used to doing the normal things every day. And now we're not. We're staying home or we're going to this place or going to that place, going to the grocery stores to see what we can get. The government, our president, our nation has said, stay at home. Stay with your family. Don't go out. I mean, God will strengthen us to change, to do these things as we take the time to go through uh, this particular medical problem. God will give us courage. It won't be long, but it'll be some time, and then we'll come out on the end of this, and we will stand strong with God. God called Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, and three times he said to Joshua, be strong and take courage. God is saying to the people of Israel, I am your God, so I will strengthen you. We don't have to buck up ourselves and rely upon our own power. We can rely upon God's power and look to him to help us to be courageous. The second thing that God said here, he said, I will help you. I will help you. The phrase help you, as far as is the Old Testament is concerned, 
is concerned, occurs 36 times. Where God is helping us is that God is helping us to do it, to accomplish the task and the problems and the circumstances and the things that we have to do, those things that are set before us. God is going to do that. He says, I will make you courageous, but even more than that, I will help you. Now, we need to know that he helps us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us, to strengthen us, to make us strong, to help us take courage and to recognize that whatever we might face through God's power and through his health, we can, we can endure, we can survive, we can go through it because he's an almighty, all wonderful and powerful God and he is going to help us. We're not alone. He's going to reach out and he's going to help us. We don't have to think that we have to do this on our own to shoulder the burden of whatever difficulties we're, we're encountering. You know, it may be that this, this virus has caused us to stop and think about this, but others of us have gone through difficulties and stressful times with other problems different than the one that the virus is causing. But we've gone through these problems and we thought that we had to do it on our own and we wondered whether we could survive and the stress became almost unbearable and, and it's difficult what we need to remember is the promise is that God will help us. God will be our helper. Interestingly enough, when, when Samuel and the children of Israel faced the overwhelming and all-powerful Philistines in battle, God helped them to win. And after he helped them to win, Samuel went with the people of Israel and erected a stone. And they named that stone Ebenezer. Do you remember that? They named the stone Ebenezer because in Samuel, Samuel said, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel said, the Lord has helped us to this point. And the reason why they called it Ebenezer because the word Eben in Hebrew means stone and Ezer means help. This was their stone of help where God actually helped them defeat their enemies and be strong and courageous. And Samuel and the children of Israel put that stone up there to remind them that their God is a God who helps. Now you can look back over your lives. It's kind of like counting your blessings and see where God has been your stone of help, your helper. And then let's give him honor and glory and thankfulness and grateful that no matter what the times might be, God indeed can be our helper. He promised that he would make us courageous, he will strengthen us, but he also promised that he will help us. And that's all part of God's character, his attributes, his nature, because he is our God. And we don't have to be afraid because he's with us, and we don't have to be afraid because we got this kind of God, the only God, the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord. But he said he will strengthen us and he will help us. Now, the last phrase there, I think, is a tremendous statement. And it can take a little bit of time to stop and fathom what that means when you think about it. He says there in the last part of verse 10, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Now, that's really interesting for God to say, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. There's a lot of things in that little statement. 
that we need to ponder and think about. First of all, God holds on to us. It's interesting. He doesn't let us go. He holds on to us. He is a God of relationship who wants to be attached to us in a way. I mean, he wants us to have a relationship with him, to know that he cares about us. And because we're afraid, God is saying, hey, don't worry about it. I got this. I got you. He's holding on. He's going to hold us up. He's going to encourage us. He's going to be there because he's holding on. And that's what's interesting. He promised Israel that he would hold on to him. He promised the people of, of Jacob, the promise, the people of Judah, that he would hold on to them. And that's one of the characteristics of God that he can't let go. No one can break his, his hold. No one can separate us from his love. No one can take us out of his hand. And we need to rejoice over that. No matter what the circumstances or the problems that might occur in our lives, whether it's this virus that we're all going crazy about or whether it's circumstances of life, family, friends, neighbors, loved ones, it doesn't matter. God won't let us go. He's holding on to us. In believing Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got a God who holds on. And that's enough just right then and there to be so excited and so wonderfully grateful because he never leaves and you can't get rid of him if, if you think about it. He's a God who holds on to us. There's another verse of scripture that says something like this and refers to us it's, uh, or helps us to understand about God's character. It's in Psalm 139. In verse 10, if you get your Bibles and you have your own Bibles at home and you want to turn there with me, Psalm 139, verse 10, uh, you got to understand it. <clears throat> in verse 7, God is saying, where can I go to escape your spirit? This is, this is the story about where can I go to get away from God? You know how they say whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Well, that's not true. God's in Vegas too. And he knows exactly what goes on. You can't get away from him. You can't hide from him. In Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's like way down in, in kind of hell, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, I'd go as far as the east as I could go or go as far to the west as I could go. Listen what he says, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. See, this is God's right hand. Now, the point about it being his right hand is also very, very important. We have a God who talks about his right hand being the strong hand of God. By a strong hand, he brought Israel up out of Egypt. By a strong hand, he's going to bring Israel back from their captivity and from their exile. And not only is that strong right hand there, it's a righteous hand. So that's another point. First, God's going to hold on to us. He's not going to let us go. Second, it's his most powerful hand. It's not a weak hand, not that the left-handers are weak or anything, but he's just describing this as his right hand. That's his that's his fighting hand. That's the hand he holds the sword in. That's the hand that he goes to battle with. 
And that's the hand that has defeated the enemies of God. You can look at God's hand and the references to God's hand throughout the Bible and see that it is the hand of God that defeats the enemies. But look too, it says, it's my righteous right hand. I think this is the only place where this phrase occurs where it says, my righteous right hand. I think that's the only place where it occurs that God calls his right hand righteous. Now that's interesting as well. What does that mean that God calls his hand a righteous right hand? Well, God's righteous. He's just. He's caring. He wants to have a relationship with his people. His righteousness is how he deals with you and with me. He's made the covenant with us and he is totally holy and totally pure. And this is an, a, a hand that is going to be um, used in any kind of uh, sinister way or subterfuge or anything else that God or anybody else might, uh, we might think of anybody else doing it who has a different motive. His motives are always going to be pure. Now what I mean by that is that his righteousness will be there for our good. Now we might not understand God's strategy and what he's doing, but God is always doing the good thing for us. Yes, we struggle with a world that's lost in sin. Yes, we struggle with evil that comes and goes. We struggle in lives that are out there in the world, but God is always there for our good. Paul said that all things God works together for the good to them that love him or are called according to his purpose. God works these things together because God is righteous. And he's holding on to us, not with a, a sinister hand, determined to hurt us or destroy us or to make us insignificant. We are significant and worth something to him in his life in his ways, in his divine plan, because God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That's what's interesting to me about this phrase, is that God says, look, I'm with you always. He said, you don't have to worry about my character, I'm your God. You don't have to be afraid, I'm your God. I am going to strengthen you, I'm going to make you courageous, I am going to help you, and I'm going to hold on to you in a way that always brings about your blessing and your benefit. So we can trust him. We look, look at the world and the world says, aha, I'm going to do this to you and do that to you. But you have to say, no, it's only God's will. God won't allow that. God won't allow anything that would come to me that would ultimately hurt me or destroy me. That's not the kind of God we have. We have a God who cares, who will uphold us with his righteous right hand. And that to me is amazing that God is going to do this, that he is going to hold on to us with his righteous right hand. Psalm 48, 10 says in referring to God, your hand is filled with righteousness. God loved us so much that he gave us his son Jesus to die on the cross. And because he gave us his son Jesus to die on the cross, we can hold on to these promises. Yeah, things are difficult today. Maybe we're stressed out. Maybe there's problems. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
But we can hold on to these promises. And particularly we can hold on to the promises because of Jesus Christ. That God gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. We can do a couple of things. We can know that God is all powerful. That he is our God. That he is with us. We can trust him. We don't have to be afraid. What may come our way. God will take care of us. We can even act on these promises by laying hold of them ourselves, taking them into our hearts and recognizing the character of our God, who he is. He's a God who strengthens. He's a God who helps. He's a God who upholds in the best, absolutely the best and right way for us. If we recognize these, we can go through whatever it might be that we face in life. Whatever problem, whatever circumstance, we can do that. My recommendation is to ask you whether you've met this kind of God. Have you met him through his son, Jesus Christ? Do you indeed know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do, then trust in an ongoing relationship with him. Now, God has done this for us, but we need to respond. We can respond by prayer and by Bible study. We can respond Obviously, by taking Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and then having an ongoing relationship with him. During this time when we're home, we could have family devotions and family worship. We can read the Bible together. You can have personal prayer time. Um, our vice president said we should spend more time on our knees than on the, in the, on the Internet. You know, We need to spend a lot of times on our knees and not in the Internet. But we can read the Bible and memorize the Bible and study the Bible and think about our relationship and how we can help others. This actually can be a time when we can testify to our faith in Jesus Christ and help other people know. I appreciate the fact that you've been watching us today and we encourage you to do that. We're going to end our service here in a few moments with a worship song. But try to put this into practice. Trust the Lord and let him help you. God bless you.